Hi, you're listening to the Clifford Chance Smarts podcast with me, Saj Jetta, author of The Smarts, founder of award-winning talent consultancy, The Smarty Train, and an economist who is obsessed with working smart. I love to find brilliant people, follow them around, and share their secrets, which is why I jumped to the chance to do this podcast that you're listening to right now. In this series, and in each episode, I get to speak to an amazing person at leading global law firm Clifford Chance, find out what makes them tick, and share with you some hacks for how you can get ahead in your own career. This time, I was extremely lucky to speak to Jennifer Mbaluto. Jennifer's story had me totally gripped. She's a new partner at Clifford Chance working in mergers and acquisitions on a global scale, but she hasn't always worked in London. Jennifer started her career in Nairobi, somewhere I've been to. Let's listen to her talking about her reasons for making such a massive move and the ways that she's dealt with such a big transition. This is Jennifer and I at Clifford Chance in Canary Wharf. Tell me a bit more about how you came from the sunshine and Swahili to London. Gosh, where do I start? So a, a lot of people ask me what made him move to London. It was a man, an Englishman that I met at a wedding. I was having, I was living my life in Kenya. I was having a career that I loved with a Kenyan law firm. No plans to move elsewhere. My world was probably just as big as, as Kenya. I hadn't really traveled much out of Kenya prior to that point. And so um, Clifford Chance was really a means to an end for me. Um, but then I came and joined this firm and I found that very quickly, just as my experience to moving to a new big city had been the move to a large firm, luckily for chances, really broadened my perspective, opened my mind, and suddenly the possibilities were endless. Um, and I just found that I was doing pretty much what I was doing back in Kenya, which was sort of corporate M&A, commercial transactions, but at a bigger scale, impacting a bigger geography, the wider Africa, which was so exciting for me because, I, you know, there's always, I've always needed to have a purpose to what I do because then that's what makes it meaningful for me and so being involved in projects and investments that um, create jobs and improve standards of living um, in Kenya was always quite helpful and you know in terms of me feeling that I'm making my contribution in a career which most people think is just about money <laughs> and so moving to Clifford Chance and being able to do that at a bigger scale you know, across different African countries was has just been really fascinating. So I moved not for work reasons, but have have ended up really enjoying my job. Brilliant. Yeah. And in terms of moving then to London, what surprised you about practicing law in London versus practicing law in somewhere like Nairobi? Um, I think the biggest shock for me was the role of a lawyer in a transaction. So in Kenya. Um, lawyers are very much sort of legal advisors as, as it were, and they will advise clients on, you know, legal protections or how you translate the commercial terms into legal documents. But they don't play much of a role in giving strategic advice or guiding the client on the more commercial terms. Whereas in this market, yeah. you know, the ability to give, to advise on legal issues is a given for any lawyer. And so clients will come will choose a firm for its ability to, you know, have an understanding of the business, give commercial, commercially focused advice, and also guide this, the client on their strategy. And I think firms in this market are able to do that because they get involved in so many different types of transactions and different types of clients. So they can use that exposure and experience to guide 
you know, clients on similar transactions. But that's something I was never expected to do as a lawyer in a Kenyan firm. Are there any new skills that you needed to develop in a new place, in a new talk type of relationship that you were forming with clients yeah, yeah. that you needed to hone? I mean, I don't know whether you can call this skills. I mean, I've mentioned listening and asking questions. Yeah. Um, but also, obviously, it was a completely different culture. Yes. You know, so cultural understanding, cultural awareness has been very, very critical. You know, you I'll give you, I'll give you another very tiny example. You know, in Kenya, you get into a meeting and you go straight to what brought you to that meeting. Right. Whereas here in the UK, you kind of need some small talk, uh-huh. you know, to sort of get people engaged, which yeah. was something I kind of <laughs> had to learn to do. I wouldn't have put myself down as a small talker, as it right. were. And, you know, being being more subtle in your communication, again, a function of this culture. You know, I come from a very direct yes. um you know, a direct culture where people just say what they mean and, you know, my face gives me away. Yeah. <laughs> when You know, when, when I'm having discussions, if I'm disappointed, you will know before I've even opened my mouth. Whereas this culture is very, very subtle. And, you know, this is critical in negotiations. You can't really be sort of giving the game away, um, certainly in this market, because others are just, you know, I've, I noticed people, for example, that I worked with that we would go into meetings with and literally the whole time, yeah, you will never read what's going on kind of behind the face and it's you know it's it's very much I think function of you know of the culture here people are subtle people are not very direct and you eventually get there but you kind of have to understand the subtleties and the nuances and when someone says something what do they actually mean <laughs> you know I mean the first time I was asked you know are you happy to do this whatever it was you know I thought to myself well, I'm kind of not, but I, you know, I learned very quickly that you can't go back and say to your boss, oh, actually, I'm not happy to do it, or I'd rather not, or I prefer not to. You know, they're actually telling you, you know, can you do this? Yeah. But they're saying, are you happy to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a complete, completely, I mean, no one in Kenya would ever ask me whether I was happy to do something. They would just tell me to do it. Yeah. So it's kind of understanding all those nuances that I had to do very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, or even things like, I remember, <laughs> I remember, well, so before I came in as an associate, I'd had three months um, secondment. And when I came in for that secondment, I was placed with an associate in the litigation group. And I was I was relatively junior at that point. And I asked if I could help with something and they gave me a task to do. And I, it was a bit of research and I did the research and I presented to him what I thought was a very well thought through paper, very detailed. Um, and they said to me, oh, thanks, that's really, really helpful. But then later on, I went to ask them to see what they had sent to the client. It was nothing like what I had had produced to them. And so it was clear to me at that point that, you know, when someone says you that's really helpful, you shouldn't just sit back and be content. You know, you should seek specific feedback, understand what bits of your advice were helpful, which ones were not. But, you know, I had just taken it as I've done a fantastic job. But I learned very quickly from that experience that, you know, if you want feedback, you're going to need to be more proactive in terms of getting specific feedback. You know, which elements of my work did you find helpful and following it through actually to see what the end product was. What struck me the most about her transition to working into a new culture was that all the skills she was talking about fall under the umbrella of emotional intelligence, sometimes called EQ 
as opposed to IQ, it's been described by the brilliant Daniel Goldman as having five parts, self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skill. I think the last one really jumps out to me in relation to her success. It's really, really powerful stuff. Know yourself, understand others. Let's hear a bit more from our conversation. As we talked, I wanted to know more about her motivation. So here she is talking about how she matched her passion with her talent. So it sounds um, from the conversation that we've had today that you have a really human-centered approach to the way you practice law and practice the relationships um, that you hold here. So are there any tips that you've got in terms of um, getting the part of your brain going that that, that fires you up to yeah. have a human-centered approach to law yeah. versus the very technical specialism that I suspect you've been trained in? I do, actually, because now I can look back at my career and also say to myself, you know, are there things I could have done better or sooner or quicker? Um, and now I tell really anyone who's at the beginning of their career who sort of cares to listen that it is so important to kind of find your passion or identify your passion before you've even kind of dived in deep yeah. um, into this into this profession. And I think... You know, I once read someone, I can't remember where, um, which is your sweet spot in life where you're most optimal um, is where your passion and your talent sort of come together. And so many people know actually by the time when they're starting their legal careers, you know, the things that excite them, you know, the thing, the thing that they kind of like to spend a lot of time on, it may well be that they haven't quite worked out in terms of their skills, what they might be really strong at. But um, but if you can identify what you're passionate about and kind of try to bring that to your day-to-day, -day, yeah. um, I think you can create a situation where your career is, is part of your life in a kind of positive way. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people talk about work-life balance. But for me, if the two kind of if it's a flow between the two and your career is very much part of your life then these questions of you know work-life balance don't really arise and I'll give you an example so I'm very passionate about um, Africa where I come from yeah. um, and I know many people say that they are but you know for me I I have found that there is a lot in that market that many people can do to make a difference and you can make a difference in a number of ways you can sort of join an organization that you know helps children or whatever the case might be and if you're a corporate lawyer at a magic circle firm you might struggle to think well how how can I actually achieve that um, but I found that you know if I'm passionate about so I'm passionate about Africa you know I have made it a choice that it has to be an integral part of what I do. And I recognize not everything I do every day will be transactions that have an impact in Africa. I work for a global firm, which means that I must at one point or another, you know, work in other markets. Yeah. But the ability to do transactions in Africa, even if it's one in a year, yeah. makes everything else that I do worthwhile. And so if I didn't have that opportunity, to do that here, I wouldn't be here. I would make the choice to go somewhere else where I can be able to do that because that's my passion. That's what makes the, 
let's say let's say let's say Africa was 20%. That's what makes the 80% worthwhile for me because it's the 80% that makes it possible for me to do the 20%, which is where my passion is. Yeah. And and um and then that then drives as you kind of get more senior the sort of decisions you make in terms of some of the client relationships you might want to get involved in. And I think that if that then becomes your sort of constant kind of almost thing that you have to check, the more senior you get, the more the two, your passion and kind of the rest of your work really merge. Yeah. But I do think it is important, right, at, at the outset to identify what your passion, what, what is it that drives you? And the benefit of being in a place like Clifford Chance is that you will find the full range yeah. um, of opportunities to do that. And for some people, it ends up being, I mean, we have lawyers now who are part of the Clifford Chance Foundation. Yeah. They don't do any sort of client work. They're involved in our pro bono activities and they love it. But, you know, if, if you don't have that initial sort of what's my passion and how can I then realize it, then you will miss the opportunities even within the firm yeah. to be able to do that. I think we would all love to match our passion with our talent like that. Thank you to Jennifer for sitting down and talking to me and thank you to you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in hearing some more big little hacks to take you a long way at work, there are four other episodes of this podcast with other great Clifford Chance guests. Until next time, I've been your host, Saj Chetta, and this has been the Smarts at Clifford Chance.